0: thank you choir orchestra congregation you made a good choir this morning thank you for that we've been hearing about the eclipse that's coming for a few months now to be honest with you I'll sort of be glad when it comes and goes I've all those warnings they give you you know you keep hearing these warnings about you better get gas in fact yesterday Linda said, uh, do I need to get gas? I said, Linda, you have three quarters of a tank. She said, but they told me on television I needed to get gas. I said, go get gas. If you don't have those glasses, your eyes are going to pop out, so you better get those glasses. Some of you already have them with you. My guess is that the grocery stores already are out of milk and bread. But, you know, I mean, it's a big thing that, that's coming, and I understand it. It's my understanding that the eclipse takes about four hours from beginning to end, and there's about two minutes and 40 seconds of total darkness. We know that an eclipse occurs when the moon passes in front of the sun. The Greek word for eclipse is the abandonment, the downfall, the darkening of a heavenly body to cease to exist. The first recorded eclipse took place October 22, 2134 B.C. The next eclipse that's coming will be April the 8th, 2024. Now this eclipse is coming from Oregon through South Carolina. The next one is going from Texas to Maine. So if you want to prepare for that, just put those glasses away so you can find them. And make your hotel reservations now. I think I'm probably going to watch that one from Elmwood. I'm not sure on that, but there's a possibility of that. Today I want us to look at another time when darkness fell on the earth. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 27, beginning in verse 45. Now, from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of those who were standing there when they heard it began saying, this man is calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and taking a sponge he filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the rest of them said, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split and the tombs were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection they entered the holy city and appeared to many now the centurion and those who were there keeping guard over jesus when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening became very frightened and said truly this was the son of god i want us to look at this darkness that is described here in the gospel of matthew first of all This darkness was unique. This is not an eclipse. This was not natural. This was supernatural. And it was unique in its intensity. There in verse 45, it says, From the sixth hour, darkness fell upon the land until the ninth hour. The word darkness that is used there is the Greek word skotos, And here it speaks of physical darkness, that there is physical darkness. In Romans chapter 2, verse number 19, that word is used to speak of intellectual darkness. And Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 8, the word is used to speak of spiritual darkness. The word literally means the opposite of light. There was total darkness. So the Bible says that at this time... From the 6th hour until the ninth hour, there was total darkness. That would be from 9 a.m. until 12 noon. Spurgeon said it was midnight at midday. So the Bible tells us that from 9 o'clock in the morning until noon, there was total darkness. And in that darkness, Jesus was hidden from those who hated him. We think back about the events leading up to the cross. They spat upon his face. They blasphemed his name. They slapped him. They crowned him with thorns. And they hung him on a cross. And in that time of darkness, he was hidden from the piercing eyes of those who hated him. The Bible says that it was a time of darkness. It is unique in its intensity. It is unique in its duration. Three hours. There was total darkness. This was not a passing cloud that we have in the summer. You know you get up in the morning. Most of the time it's sunny in the afternoon. There are the clouds that begin to form and then they pass away. In fact, Hughes refers to them as Passovers. So these clouds come and then they are gone. That's not what this was. This was the duration of three hours. Can you imagine that? My guess is some of you are a little bit concerned that there's going to be two minutes and 40 seconds of darkness tomorrow Will the light shine again. Can you imagine three hours of total darkness in the middle of the day? The people were concerned. The people were apprehensive. They became agitated as a result of it. You see in verse number 54, Now the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. During this period of three hours of darkness, they became disturbed. And every moment that passed and they remained in darkness, they became more and more disturbed. So the Bible says in Luke 23, verse 48, And all the multitudes who came together for this spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to return, beating their breast. Three hours of darkness. Matthew Henry wrote, probably these very people were of those who had cried, crucify him, crucify him. But now they were so terrified with the darkness and the earthquake and the uncommon manner of his expiring that they had not only their mouths stopped but their consciences startled. It's also unique in its significance. The Bible says that it, covered the land darkness over all the earth this is the first time since God declared let there be light that the earth is covered in darkness the darkness we read about here was unique three hours intense it was unique but it was the darkness of battle You must understand that during this darkness, during the events that surround this, there was a spiritual battle going on, a battle between good and evil, a battle between God and Satan, who is going to be God. You know from your reading of Scripture that Satan has always wanted the worship that belongs only to God. In fact, he declared i will exalt myself above the throne of the most high god it has always been the desire of satan to be god so there is a battle that is going on during this darkness as to who is going to be god and in this battle satan is defeated this is the place this is the time it is the time when satan was defeated You may not know that this morning, but the demons do. The demons know that Satan has been defeated because when Jesus cast the demons out of the demoniac of Gadara, the Bible says they cried out, What have we to do with you, Son of God? Have you come to torment us before the time? The demons know that their time is up. The demons know that Satan has been defeated. Not only do the demons know it, but Satan also knows it. The Bible says in Revelation 12:12, 12, 12, Woe to the earth and to the sea, because the devil has come down to you having great wrath, knowing he only has a short time. Oh, I know that he has a lot of power, a lot of influence because we've experienced it but i also know that he is defeated i know that satan is defeated because jesus defeated him on the cross and he did so with the shedding of his blood now there are those who resent some who are offended by the notion of the shedding of blood But the Bible says that is the way he won the battle. When I was in college, I witnessed to a professor once, and I mentioned that Jesus had died on the cross, shedding his blood by which we are cleansed. And I still to this day remember the professor saying to me, That is the most barbaric thing I have ever heard. I understand that. I remember when Steve came as our minister of music. Hadn't been here a long time. And one of the members of the church at that time told him not to sing so many songs about the blood because that is offensive. It is by the shedding of his blood that he won the victory, though people do not understand that. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So I want you to understand that in this darkness it's unique this is a supernatural darkness this is a different darkness but there is a spiritual battle that is being waged in this darkness it also is the darkness of judgment because darkness always is connected to judgment in the bible for instance before the passover there was darkness The Bible says in Exodus chapter 10, verses 21 and 22, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and There was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. You recall within the context of those verses, this is a time of judgment. The Lord had said to the Israelites, sacrifice the lamb, take the blood, put on the doorpost. And when the death angel sees the blood on the doorpost, he will pass over you. But for those that did not have the blood on the doorpost, there was the death of the firstborn. It was a time of judgment. This darkness also is a time of judgment, and this darkness was prophesied in 760 B.C. by Amos the prophet. Amos wrote in verse, chapter 8, verse 9, And it will come about in that day, declares the Lord God, That I shall make the sun go down at noon and make the earth dark in broad daylight. This is the darkness of judgment. Judgment is taking place in this darkness. Because he took our sin and so God judged our sin here at the cross. He took our burden. In verse number 46 he says, my God... My God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was forsaken for us. He felt the burden of sin. And the quote that is there comes from Psalm 122 verse 1 as it was prophesied then. So he took our sin upon himself, our burden of sin. He became our substitute on the cross. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5:21, "He made him who knew no sin" to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Did you know that at the cross, Jesus took all of our violence, all of our hatred, all of our gossip, all of our immorality, all of our anger, all of our shame, all of our filth, upon himself he who knew no sin became sin so all of my sin was placed on him and all of your sin was placed on him as well he paid for our sin that he might become our savior chuck swindoll wrote if our greatest need had been information god would have sent us an educator if our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us a savior. He took our sin. Upon himself, When Jesus was on the cross, all of your sin, all of my sin, were placed on him. He became our sin, and he endured God's wrath at the cross. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. Death has always been the fruit of sin. It's always been the wage of sin. My friend, you can can decide that you're going to live your life in sin apart from God, but the wages of sin is death. And so Jesus then died to satisfy the cost of sin. It has to be paid. The wages have to be paid. The wages of sin is death. Someone has to pay that. And Jesus paid it at the cross To me, I believe the greatest anguish that he felt, though, was the separation from the Father. That is the reason he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know that Jesus always referred to God as Father. He was always Father. But here, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because that was the great anguish being separated from the Father. There was the darkness of battle. He took our sin and endured God's wrath. But the darkness does not stay. I remember years ago going to the play Annie. There's a lot of the music I like, but I like that song. It says, the the sun will come out tomorrow. The sun will come out tomorrow. That's what Jesus said. In John chapter 12, verse 46, he said, I have come as light into the world that everyone who believes in me may not remain in darkness. There is the darkness, but Jesus is the light. And he comes out in the midst of the darkness. In this, as I look at it, I'm thinking about the darkness, and Jesus being the light, and all of that. The dawn that takes place out of the darkness comes the dawn. There's the dawn of access in verse 51. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. Now this is not an ordinary curtain. This curtain, this veil that is spoken of here, is 30 feet high. It is 60 feet long. It is two inches thick, and it takes 300 priests to install it. This is not an ordinary curtain. It was the curtain that hung before the holy of holies so that sinful man could not approach holy God. So this is the curtain, this is the veil that separated man from God. And the Bible says that it was ripped from top to bottom. Signifying that God was the one who ripped it. God was the one who rented. Barnes said the rending of the veil signified that the way to heaven was now open to all. Now folks, here's here's the importance of that. When the curtain that was there was ripped, now it means that you and I, we all have access to God. We have access to the Father. I read the story following the Civil War. There was a Confederate soldier who sat outside the White House. One day there was a young boy who went by, saw him sitting there, and he saw that he was sad. He sat down and talked to him for a while and asked him, he said, why, why, are, you, why are you so sad looking? And the man said, well, I, I wanted to see the president. He said, I come every day that I might be able to see the president. I want to talk to him about the land that we lost and we lost everything. My family has nothing as a result of the war. He said, we, we, we are penniless, we have nothing and I just want to see the president. He said, but every time I try to enter the White House, he says, the soldiers turn me away. The boy motioned for him to follow him. <clears throat> he took him into the White House and sure enough the president was sitting there at his desk and the man was able to speak to the president but the man was able to enter the White House because the boy, was Tad Lincoln, the president's son. You and I are able to go before the Father because of the Son. He has made access available to the Father. The message of the renting of the veil is that God is revealed to us. Now now God has been revealed to us through Jesus. I don't know about you, I, I have difficulty in identifying with God. I'm finite. He is infinite. How in heaven's name does a finite creature relate to an infinite God? But God has revealed himself through Jesus Christ. And I can relate to Jesus. The message of the renting of the temple also is that the Jew and the Gentile become one in Christ. We're saved the same way. We become one in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul said, For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Matthew Henry wrote, It signified the uniting of Jew and Gentile by the removing of the partition wall between them. We're united. The way that we are saved, brothers in Christ. I I don't understand, I confess to you, all of the division in our country and all of the division, especially among God's people. Folks, I don't care if you're black, white, yellow, red, whatever you are. We're all saved the same way. The shed blood of Jesus. And if you are saved, then you're my brother. Or my sister in Christ we are united because of him and that is the reason that we must get back and proclaim the gospel again because people become one only in Jesus Christ the rending of the veil says that there is a new way to God and the way to God is not by the offering of sacrifices or the keeping of law but the way to the father is through the shed blood of Jesus Hebrews 10, 19, and 20 says, Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. There was the dawn of access. Now then, the Father is accessible through Jesus. And there is the dawn of victory when Jesus died, he died in strength. You notice in verse 46, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. The word loud that is used there is the same word from which we get the word megaphone. Matthew Henry wrote, The voice of dying men is one of the first things that fails. When a panting breath and a faltering tongue, a few broken words are hardly spoken, and more hardly heard but Christ just before he expired spoke like a man in his full strength to show that his life was not forced from him but was freely delivered by him into his father's hands as his own act and deed Jesus gave his life no one took his life he spoke with a loud voice now he did Die, I believe, with a broken heart. Because the Bible says in John 19, 34, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately there came out blood and water, and I am told that signifies a ruptured heart. But he died in victory. From the cross he cried out to tell Telestai. It is finished. I have finished the work the Father gave me to do. He paid the price for our sin. He died in victory. I read the story that was written by Chaplain Robinson. He said in 1949, his father was getting out of the war. He was coming back home, and there were a lot of soldiers coming back home at that time. He said that he had received word that his mother was dying, his grandmother, that she was dying. Because she had negative AB blood, she needed a blood transfusion, but there were no blood banks and no one in the family had that type of blood. So his father was going back home to say his goodbyes to his mother. He said that as he was traveling along, he noticed there were soldiers uh, hitchhiking, a lot of them. He said he was just impressed to pick up this particular soldier, pulled over, picked him up, got him in his car. And the man asked him, he said, I noticed that there's something troubling you. What is it? And he told him that his mother was dying because they had no blood, AB blood, for a transfusion. The soldier reached over and got his dog tag, said AB blood, AB negative. They went to the hospital. A transfusion was made. His mother died in 1996, 47 years after she received That transfusion. If we conclude, here's the thing that surprises me, I guess. Maybe it shouldn't. After the darkness, those people who were trembling in fear before returned to the same mocking and rejection of Jesus that they had before. They were fearful, they were trembling, they were frightened, but after it was over, there was no difference. Look at verse number 62. Now the next day, which is the one after the preparation, the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days, I am to rise again therefore give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day lest the disciples come and steal him away and say to the people he has risen from the dead and the last deception will be worse than the first. Isn't that amazing? After everything that went on after the fear and trembling they went back to the same thing. You know what that says to me? signs and wonders will never turn some people's hearts to Christ all the show we might perform will not turn people's hearts to Christ it is the only, only the power of God's word applied by the holy spirit that changes people's lives what about you you know the gospel But has the Holy Spirit applied it to your heart today that you might receive Jesus as your Savior? Our Father in God, I come and lift up to you those uh, with whom you are speaking today. Father, those who have never trusted Christ, that they might be saved. Lord, I just pray that the Holy Spirit will draw them to Jesus. I pray, Father, for others who should join the church, make other decisions, that they would do so today. But Lord, this is... This is your message and this is your invitation. We extend it on your behalf. In Christ's name, amen. If you've never trusted Christ, I encourage you to do so today. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open. We'd love to have you. Stand with me, please, as we stand together. The choir sings, you come, I'll greet you as you do.